0: Jarring Cacophony tells you that once again you're listening to the Doctor Who podcast that's been bringing you an episode every day throughout November. And here we go, we've got one bonus one for the start of December because we thought we'd be nice and give you an early Christmas present. I'm Kenny Smith and I am not alone. Yes, David Steele here. Hello, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sticking with us. Absolutely, we are grateful for you all for sticking with us, as David just said. And today, We've got a bit of a Christmas present for you because we've got this bonus episode. Now, Dave, last week we discussed Doctor Who and the Starbeast and we spoke with author Pat Mills about writing the original comic strip. And I've got a little present for you. Guess what we've got? You haven't got Mr. Mills again, have you? Dave, we have got Mr. Pat Mills, the <laughs> one and only Sir Patrick Mills, as he should be. Suit you, sir. Suits you. <laughs> right, let's hear what you have to say then. So, Pat welcome back thank you let's rewind a wee bit so the you talked briefly last time about your surprise when the email came through from russell so you can maybe chat a wee bit more about it i mean was there much more detail about what he wanted to do with it
1: essentially it was to uh the the um email from uh, uh from bad wolf with uh and from Russell was to say that this is what they were hoping to do and uh, they they want, and they needed to understand uh, what the setup was because uh, John Wagner and I had, uh, I guess we never thought it would, uh, the issue would ever arise. It seemed very simple to us at the time, but it wasn't, was we were writing Doctor Who and so when I was writing one, my name came first and when he was writing one, uh, his name came first, and that seemed, at the time, like a good idea. But in retrospect, I don't think it was. As, as I've said elsewhere, it's a bit like, you know, McCartney and Lennon, or Hammerstein and Rogers, or, or uh, Hardy and Laurel, you know. It, <laughs> it, 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 I think it confused the hell out of people. And uh, so we, we re- they, they really thought that, uh, initially, that John Wagner and I had, had written it together and uh uh john very graciously said look you know it's absolutely nothing to do with me and I wish you well but it's it's not my gig and uh, that was very sweet of him so that took a little um sorting out uh, and uh about what was going on and there was there was also there was a sort of initial contact and um I don't know, without getting too deeply into it, the experience with UK comic publishers generally is a bad one for creators. There's there's just no way around it. And so, you know, the issue of money uh, hadn't come up at that early stage because they wanted to see if we were on board and and so on. And um, uh, so I was very wary because my experience with UK comic publishers is, has been absolutely diabolical and I'm on record on that. And they, they regularly need naming and shaming, uh, to, be, to be honest. And so I think it was probably another missive further down the line that uh, they made an ex gratia uh, offer to us. And, uh, and that was great because the thing that I really valued about it not so much the money, it wasn't a, wasn't a huge sum, but it was the fact that they didn't have to. Now, I know if they, they, they probably wanted to get us on side anyway, uh, but it didn't have that kind of Machiavellian element to it. It, it was genuinely like, you know, uh, we'd like your help and here's what we can, here's what we can offer you. And I have probably again said this in the past, but that's also true for, for Big Finish. Big Finish are a small company and they didn't have to pay me on uh, certain things, but they did in their own way. And it was, it's the gesture of it as much as actually the money in many ways, which is completely removed from the experience of uh, UK comic publishers. And without going too far down a, a different avenue, it is so foolish, never mind anything else, because doing the right thing has enormous dividends for people. Fans will love it for a start. If, if um, you know, I, I won't be specific about any, any one UK comic publisher. They're all tied with the same brush. There is no difference between any of them. But if they did the right thing, it would have an enormous impact on everyone. And they can't do that because they don't think that way, and I'm contrasting that, bringing us back to 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 Russell and Doctor Who, with uh, Doctor Who, where they did the right thing, and it's it makes such a difference. It makes a huge difference, and um, so I was very touched by that. Uh, you know, when uh, and then of course they <laughs> invited us at. In, in my case, I live in Spain, so. Uh, they said, "Well, actually, we're we're filming the uh, particular scene of the Star Beast, and uh, do you want to come over for it and uh, come to the Cardiff studios and so on?" And it was like about three days' notice. So my sort of first reaction was, "Oh no, I can't, I can't do this. You know, uh, I, I've got to got to pass it up." Uh, but uh, my wife Lisa very sensibly said. Don't be silly! You've got to do it, and uh, so it was quite hectic. We live in a village, a mountain village in Spain, so it's not like just hopping on, uh, you know, from Benidorm or somewhere back to back to uh, uh, back to the UK. And then, of course, we it went ahead, and it was the most incredibly intense day. And it's almost symptomatic the whole Doctor Who experience, which is really the same on some level for, for all of us, you know, there's something in, astonishingly intense about it. You know, I, I, I'm trying to think of the polar opposite to, 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 to convey just how intense it is. Offhand, I can't think of anything, probably because it doesn't appeal to me. But it was, it was a totally packed day um, and I'll briefly go through it in, in, a, in a moment because uh, I think I should. I think it's also on another level. There's so many levels to this, and my writing generally is often regarded as uh, as very intense and even, uh, arguably perhaps too intense. But Russell really has the edge on me. My God, he's writing his writing okay. He's writing in the television medium, and I'm writing in the comic medium or in uh, a text novel medium, but. Even so, his quote is astonishingly intense, so that's really good. Uh, And that was all reflected in that day, which um, I cover in detail for those who really want a blow by blow, inch by inch thing, in Page Turners, um, where I've got eight chapters of the book on Doctor Who, and one of them is specifically on that day in Cardiff, because I, I wrote it all down at the time while it was fresh in my mind. So I'll give a, a kind of summary of how it how it was. So very briefly, something like this. We arrived, we had uh, a COVID test, and if, if either of us had been, well, if, if it had been positive, it had been an early bath, you know. <laughs> And then, to our disappointment, we discovered that uh, uh, Russell had um, uh, had COVID, and therefore he was. Uh, uh, we couldn't meet him, which was uh, very sad, very disappointing. And then we uh, then we did a tour of the bandwolf Studios, and we started with uh, the art department, if I recall. And they're talking about the different designs for the meep. And I go into that in quite a lot of detail in, in the book because they, they tried all sorts of versions. And I don't know if they'll ever release all these, there's gotta be some kind of the making of book. Hopefully there will be, because some of the art's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's really astonishing. So, um, there's all that art uh, there and they, they, they did this thing which I, I fully recognize as a, as a creator myself where you try all these different variations and they more or less said, and you know what, actually we'll, we'll just stick to Dave's version. In other words, they, they had to go through all those possibilities before coming back to the original. I can sort of understand that. You've you you, you you've really got to be sure where you're going on it and um, so there was that. We uh we visited the meeps spaceship which was terrific and uh uh but the real show stealer was the interior of the tardis and i mean we we've we've seen some of it in the the star beast but there's obviously a lot more to linger on there i mean it's vast and that that came as such a shock to me because they they hadn't um i'm not up to date with whatever is going on behind the scenes. So I didn't know about, uh, was it the Disney plus thing, the, uh, how they have got presumably a much, much bigger, well, they obviously have a much bigger budget than ever before. So you've got this vast TARDIS, that's astonishing. So that, that really sort of stole the show. And then uh, we went to this um, power station, uh, as, as I said in, um, in my uh, uh, write-up about that day in Cardiff, uh, uh, they presented me with a brand new pair of bobber boots because uh, health and safety. And so they said, "Have, have you got me, uh, you know, bobber boots, uh, safety boots?" And um, uh, of course, I don't. So uh, they they bought me a pair. <laughs> my pride and joy. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, the, the the power station itself is is a star, you know, the, the actual place where they're filming. And I was really quite taken aback and quite overwhelmed by the, um, by the detail of it. I mean, you know, we've all, we're all familiar with, um, I don't know, um, steampunk and Geiger and all this kind of stuff. But this original power plant—the detail on it was just amazing—and I, I was hypnotised by it. And I, and I think some of—and of course, then I was hypnotised by uh, meeting David Tennant and uh, uh, the Meep and, and and so on. And I think that's that missed. I can't. It's almost glazed over. I think that comes across in, you know, where on the Unleashed. I mean. I, just like I'm lost for words, which is very unusual for me, as you can hear now. I'm lost for <laughs> words now, but I was just like, my mouth was just open. So, yeah,
0: yeah, but it was just that what I really enjoyed was the glee in David's face when he came bounding up to see you, and the fact that you probably weren't expecting that level of detailed knowledge from him. The fact that he was such a fan of your work when he was a wee boy, it wow. was wonderful. It was wonderful. The the look in his face and the look in your face is...
1: Yeah, well, they they said on on the Doctor Who production team that uh, David would have loved to have spent more time with us and vice versa. Uh, But, of course, he was in the middle of filming. And, uh, uh, I mean, just as an aside there, uh, I mean, watching that particular scene, which is like... It's a blink (laughs) and in the final production, do you know what I mean? It's what, what is it? 30 seconds, something like that. But they were filming that over and over and over again. You know what I mean? And that's, uh, you know, even add on uh, earlier rehearsals, perhaps. And uh, it's astonishing how much commitment goes into things that, that, you know, right, we're going to do another take on that. the the number of takes they must have had and then the editing of it, it it just doesn't bear thinking about. Again, it's another level of the intensity of of the the whole thing. But I think what what bemused me was, I mean, I've seen David Tennant in in, um, several uh, uh, dramas apart from Doctor Who, I'm, I'm watching Inside Man at the moment. and. For some reason, the fact he had a Scottish accent, or is Scottish, uh, added to that feeling of being bemused, because um, he was saying, "Well, you know, he, he read he read all these you know comics as a kid and so on." So uh, this part of my brain was back to talking to Scottish comic book fans, and yet <laughs> he was someone else again. So. Uh, my brain wasn't really completely co- computing all that. And uh, um, so it, it was quite remarkable. It really was. Um, and as I say, there's one thing after the other. It was, it was a very, very uh, intense experience and, and a very good one because it wasn't, we weren't just watching a Doctor Who. Uh, I mean, I sat in on uh, Big Finish, uh, Doctor Who's, and I know they're audio, but there was a certain familiarity about it. It's still within that kind of almost cosy early Doctor Who's, if you like. Uh, but this was this was vast, you know what I mean? And um, and of course, we nobody had tipped us off that this was the case. I mean, probably for. Um, uh, for Doctor Who fans, they would be aware of the budget and they would be aware that this must be why it's so exciting that this is all happening because it's taking it to another level and there's just so much, so much going on there and uh, as I said in, in my review of, of, of it, there, there's so many elements packed into that whatever it is, 50 odd minutes. Uh, you know, because there's so much subtext, subtext about uh, issues of gender and and so forth, and the family. It's, I think that's the one that ultimately steals the show, really. That uh, it's that family relationship. You know, the the doctor and his companion, uh, Catherine Tate, who kind of it sort of segues side uh, into a wider family. So. And that's obviously Russell's been there before with uh, the you know the earlier family, but again it's um, it's very different to what should we say what should we call them classic Doctor Who's where the relationships uh, were never uh, there must have been exceptions but generally speaking they weren't they weren't really thought through and they weren't that important it was. It would be the Daleks or the Cybermen or 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 whoever that that really dominated uh, the drama, and here you've got this family relationship that uh, that dominates it, and uh, and it works it, it, because it's uh, you know I, I don't want to get too uh, cliched about it, but probably at the heart of many many stories, if not all stories, there is a family or an absence of family or. Conflict within families, or whatever, and so therefore, to to really mine that is is the most essential element. And I tend to look at these things from a uh, a writer point of view, just to make sure whatever I'm writing at the time is is aware of those subliminal things. Because if you if you don't have them, or you don't have them right, you're going to lose some or possibly all of your audience.
0: Yeah, I mean the thing that. I was delighted with was just, you know, how recognisable the Rarths were, and the fact that you know, the meat is absolutely as you would hope, and of course you've got just the perfect voice as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and, and the the standing uh, meat uh, on the um, uh, Unleashed was. Uh, she was also great, you know? Uh, so yeah, the, the voice, voice was, you, you couldn't get a better voice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so,
0: Although I did half expect some Miriam Margulies-isms that uh, you just never know what you're gonna get.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, what a, what a, uh, uh, what a character. And I, I think the other exciting thing about it all is uh, uh, looking on social media, there's, you can see already there's a lot of pickup on the MEEP, uh, uh, people making uh, their own little models of the MEEP, and uh, there's probably going to be, there's got to be some merchandising on that, I think. It's got to be, hasn't there? I, mean, you know, I mean, you've got Daleks and Cybermen, why not uh, the Starbeaks? And uh, presumably looking cute in some device to change that cute, uh, look
0: into a into a monster. Absolutely. I mean, you look at what they've done with Grogu for Star Wars, the little baby Yoda, as we all initially called him, and uh, the change. So, yeah, I think it's quite. It's got to happen because so many people want a cuddly one to snuggle up to in good mode. <laughs> yeah, the most high demands it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was very good the way they uh, they they followed a comic book uh, as much as it was practical because you had this much bigger storyline going on as well and so marrying all that together is quite daunting you know to be able to to hold all that in, in place and as I say it's uh, I, I, I'm sure for I mean it was it was immediately accessible for people who are only going to watch it once you know what I mean they're not hardcore doctor who fans is going to say, hey, let's see this, oh, this is cool. But I think um, you've got Doctor Who fans, and then you've got people like myself as a, as, a, as a writer, creator, where I will, you know, things that I'm interested in or involved in, I will watch endlessly because it's like going under the under the bonnet of a car and, you know, really seeing how the engine works and what wires are connected to what pieces and, and so on. But no, I thought it, I thought it was very good, excellent.
0: Especially the fact that we got to see the Wrath warriors flying as well. I, that was I never expected yeah, that, was, that.
1: Yeah, that, that wasn't in the comic book, and uh, it, it, it was so quick you know, on occasion that. Uh, although I, I I look back on the comic book and I think uh, I think it's, it's almost as is it something comes out of the Rath's mouth that uh, with a sort of a grabber. Yeah, like uh, like an alien. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, was that pre-alien or when did Alien must have
0: come? Alien been out seventeen back? nine, I think. So you'd probably yeah. been concurrent around that. You'd have probably written this around the time that the film was in the cinema. So it could be to start sort yeah. of similar.
1: Thoughts. I, I could well have been influenced by that. Uh, yeah, because there, there was that scene where they're um, uh, having tea with this uh, cozy uh, sort of housewife character and so on. So. I mean, all that was very much in line with uh, you know the original comic book, and then the way Russell, if you like, brought out a modern family that was still very much uh, in the same tradition as the uh, as the original. So I think the other thing that was so good about it was, and of course this this underlies all his work. Normally what could be construed or is described as family entertainment i normally run a mile from i'm thinking of uh, you know at the at the very worst at the very worst end uh, some of some of your audience may not even know what i'm referring to things like little house on the prairie and all that kind of stuff you know what i think i, I think may be categorized as hallmark films you know <laughs> you know you see something that's been Produced by Hallmark, you know, I'm not going not gonna to see that. And I think uh, Steven Spielberg on occasion is guilty of that sentimentality, which I suppose is probably um, how it works for an American audience. But this has got that family entertainment quality, but in a very British way. And it's far too cool to fall into any of those traps. It's cool, it's slick, it's. It's a, it's a bit edgy because it's dealing with some, you know, quite edgy subjects. So that's a hell of an achievement, to be able to do all that and to appeal to adults and also appeal to, I, I would guess, what, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds? I mean, I actually imagine there are quite a few seven-year-olds looking at the meat. I, I, from uh, responding to um, Twitter, I think uh, the one that stood out for me was where uh, they're saying how uh, something like uh, uh, my seven year old loved the meep and then when it produced teeth and, and all the rest of it, they loved it even more. You know, in other words, the bad meat went down even better. And that's, it, it's such a, it's such a core idea, isn't it? I think that's probably true of a lot of Doctor Who uh, monsters is that they, they touch some primal, some primal nerve. That there's, there's just so many levels that you can, you can appreciate uh, not just Starbeast, but probably just about every, well, all, all the more successful Doctor Who dramas anyway. And I, I, I mean, on, on, a, on a deeper level, which I think is just purely subliminal. I don't think it was ever voiced as such. It's, it's the fact that, and I, this was an important thing for me at the time, is that um, people, uh, and you could say creatures as well for that matter, that present themselves as innocent and good are often not. And uh, you've only got to look at our politicians to see how true that is, you know, that, uh, or maybe the current yeah, <laughs> I mean, God, there's nothing remotely cute about them. But I, I think. Back at that time, there were, what should we say, people who looked, uh, you know, it was a common thing to say. I don't think it's said anymore because, as I say, I don't think our current politicians fit the, this category. But I can certainly remember where, say, Tony Blair was concerned. Uh, someone said, "Oh, well, I'm going to vote for him because he, he's got a nice face. He, he looks like a, a really good guy. Now, that's open to question after the Iraq war. And so I think it's that's... That was actually very important for me on a a subliminal level with with the Meep, that here is something that things that look innocent and look good, and people who look good are often far from it and and we should always be on our guard. I don't want to get too worthy about that, but uh, I, I think that was one of the one of the motivations because there's always a subtext in in my stories. So if there isn't a subtext, I, I couldn't write it, I'd just be bored. I know, uh, I can't be bothered with this. So so I think that was the subtext that was driving me at the time on the Studies.
0: Well, it's fantastic that it came out. And also the fact that the steelworks were named after yourself and of course Finally, some 40-odd years after you wrote Spaceville, you finally get your name in a televised Doctor Who episode on screen.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, yeah, it's quite a thrill. Yeah, I mean, it was a thrill, really. It's uh, Yeah, and it, and it was done in the right way. As someone, um, uh, a friend of mine, said how uh, with the first uh, Dread movie, I, alongside... Um, my other uh, co creators on Judge Dredd uh, fought very hard for on screen credits. And we fought like crazy for it. And uh, this is on the first one, the Stallone film. And our names are on there. I think after The Carpenters and before The Dolby Sound at the very, very end in micro type. You know what I mean? You, you, you really need glasses to, to see it. So, it was very good to see uh, proper credit at the beginning and also a credit at the end uh, on the beep and the wrath. Uh, so that, that was great because, you know, as I say, elsewhere you cannot take anything for granted and uh, you know, you can easily get, uh, it could easily be pushed aside. And I think I think, um, I think uh, Russell and, uh, gets so many kudos for that. You know, it's, it's fantastic.
0: You mentioned Page Turner's. When is it going to be available? Because it's one that I know that I'm itching to get my hands on a copy of. So, when will it be available to purchase?
1: It's available right now. We uh, we literally timed it. We couldn't because it include I I'd I signed an NDA, so I couldn't talk about uh, the whole Cardiff experience until uh, until the the um, uh, the show had been transmitted. So it literally went on sale the day after. So it's been on sale, what, a couple of days or so, two or three days. Uh, so it's, it's available on Amazon as a book and uh, also available as, uh, as an e-book. As I say, there's, there's eight chapters in it on Doctor Who and uh, it covers some of the, uh, covers some interesting stuff from classic Doctor Who as well. I mean, my, one of my favorite chapters, which I, I don't have as many details on as I know some fans would like, is a, a chapter entitled, um, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Synopsis. And this dates back to uh, Douglas Adams when he was script editor. Because although he was not my uh, script editor when uh, uh, I was involved with uh, Doctor Who and The Space Whale, it was Chris Bidney. But he sent me Doug, uh, Douglas Adams' advice to to writers. <laughs> and, uh, I, could, I, I, I couldn't go into detail because I no longer have that. I really, it's, I'm terrible for doing this. But then, you know, I, I, if I if I kept all my documents as as so many uh, creators do, you know, I'd never move house. I'd never never go anywhere. So there was this advice from Doug, Douglas Adams or, or not advice, edict from, from Douglas Adams on what he was expecting on Doctor Who and it was vitriolic. It was unbelievable. He was, I, I, I do know how else to describe it, he was very angry. And I think, and I was, I was reading this and thinking, my God, I haven't even written it yet. I'm feeling quite shocked because the whole thing is uh, sending in a synopsis on Doctor Who, and this this may be of some relevance or importance to uh, anyone listening, uh, that, that you're probably aware how it should be done, and I didn't do this initially that way, it should be three pages, and it shouldn't be too tightly typed, and it, as Douglas Adams says, he, something like, I don't give a damn who's got what monkey wrench and doing what to whom and all that kind of stuff, I, I want the broad brushstrokes of the story, what's the story about? Now, it's easier said than done, you know, and I mean, you know, every writer, you know, describing all these things, but there is a lot of sense in reducing a story to three pages. And it, I mean, some submissions in television uh, can actually be just one page. I, I did something for uh, uh, an abortive project for Channel 4, and. The, they literally wanted one page because <laughs> like, how do, you, how do you sum up everything that you're trying to do? And the catch is that you actually have to work out an awful lot and then you have to ditch it. So there's all this work that you've done off, off page and it's only a really discerning editor will realize you've done that work because they'll know from those those minimal words, but they don't want the bother of going through endless pages. And I think I think Douglas must have sat there and read some really long beginner's synopsis, and that, that had put him in a rather bad place. So there's a, there's a few anecdotes like that in the uh, story, going back to those uh, uh, those classic Doctor Who's. Yeah, you know, oh, as bad. well as
0: the stories. It's absolutely amazing and. You know, want to thank you again for all the joy that you brought me and others over the years. My podcast pal Dave, who can't make it just now, um, wants to say a huge thank you for strips like Flesh, Charlie's War, and of course the 80s Eagle Dandy, which was a big part of my childhood as well. So genuinely, we want to thank you for everything you've done and literally the hundreds of hours of joy you brought us and so many others over the years.
1: Oh, that's lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was really nice to see Pat and Dave both on um, on Doctor Who Unleashed the other evening, wasn't it? It
0: was, it was great and the, I think my favourite part was just the sheer joy on DT's face as he got to meet yes. the writers and I was just, I just loved it, it was just his enthusiasm, it was just like, you can imagine what he'd been like as a 10 year old, I mean that's not yeah. David Tennant award winning actor, that's David Tennant Doctor Who fanboy gushing over Absolutely. some heroes and it was beautiful to see.
1: Absolutely. I mean, Dave Gibbons, is he's a legend enough as well Like you mm. know, the Watchmen is the most, one of the most discussed and debated comics ever published. And, you know, it's pretty cool for the six degrees of separation that you've been talking to Pat Mills and, you know, and I've been talking to you and he's been talking to Dave Gibbons. So it's all very good.
0: Yeah. And it all, comes, all back to, it comes back to Mr. Tennant quite neatly there. So, so from one David from Paisley to another David from Paisley, we get there. Well, that's us reached the end of another episode. So with the crushing inevitability, like night follows day, Dave, I'm going to ask you to ask me a question. And you know the question it is.
1: Kenny, what are we playing out with
0: today? Well, Dave, I'm glad you asked me that. Now, we've got three versions of Starbeast. We've got the Starbeast comics trip. We've got the Starbeast Big Finish audio adaptation. And now we've got the Starbeast television adaptation. So I'll we'll have to start referring to it by year. So we've got Starbeast 1980, Starbeast 2019, and now Starbeast 2023. So given that these years are actually numbers, what could be more appropriate than Iron Maiden and the number of the beast? I've been Kenny Smith and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I've been David Steele. Please
1: check out the Earth 2 podcast. Take care folks, be safe. Bye.
2: I left alone. <laughs> The reflections of my walkman staring back at me